0: What's up, Bike fans? So I hope you're ready to have your head explode because the things Predator Cycling is doing with materials, artificial intelligence, computational fluid dynamics, and 3D printing is so far beyond what any other brand is doing, it's kind of mind blowing. My guest today is Aram Goganian, founder of Predator Cycling. He is wicked smart. And since he didn't mention it, I will. Not only is he pushing the limits of computer design so far that brands like Nvidia and Lenovo are giving him supercomputer equipment to test, he's also speaking at their events to teach their teams new ways to use them. And he's about to give us a masterclass in design and materials that show how they're pushing the envelope of not just custom parts, but custom fits to completely optimize aerodynamics down to the position of each individual finger. If that sounds ridiculous, trust me, this episode goes deep. So grab a coffee, sit back, and enjoy. Please welcome Aram Goganian. Hey Aram, welcome to The Bike Room Show. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah, man, I'm excited to talk to you because every time we talk you have a new product coming out, which is rare. Like it's, you have a very long development cycle. But every yep. time we do, I'm sitting there taking notes and we hang up and I look at my notes and I just, I'm like, my head's spinning because you <laughs> go, like the technology you're using is so next level beyond anything else I've seen anybody else doing, so. Thank you. Yeah, like I, there's, I don't even know where to start. So we're just gonna start with your road handlebars, which are okay. a fairly new item coming out, like actually mm-hmm. launching soon. Yeah, tell us. I mean, top level. What's what makes your road handlebar different than what else is out there? Um, Well, the way. Well, uh, (laughs) it it can get complicated, but
1: I think the main thing to think about on our handlebars is the way we approach it is different than most. We approach it from the idea of trying to solve a the problem, the puzzle of a bicycle, trying to make a rider more efficient, trying to make them more comfortable, um, ergonomics. We kind of come at it from that perspective. And then we try to come up with an idea of what we're trying to do. And then usually that's where the like the tech side of it kind of gets out of control because we realize quickly that we can't do it with what we have or what we know or what's currently available. And then it kind of goes down a rabbit hole. The road bars themselves are pretty cool because it's it's um, it's our road majors, which we've been making for a long time, we're kind of known that's kind of kind of where we made a name for ourselves for some of our products. This is the reintroduction of that, the new tech that we've been talking about,
0: which is, I mean, it's about six years in the works. Which is ridiculous when you think about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> like six years to develop a handlebar. Um, yes. Well, let's, before we go too deep into the tech, let's kind of talk about where that came from. Because I think I had way, way, way long ago when you and I first met, like literally when mm-hmm. Bike Rumor was first getting going. Yep. I got one of your first major handlebars. And mm-hmm. it was literally like you took an existing stem and an existing mm-hmm. bar. I think they were both FSA products mm-hmm. and asked me like, what exactly angles do I want and everything? And then you cut them and bonded them together with the carbon overwrap. And it was ridiculously stiff. And that's kind of how you started, right? It was just hacking yep. together existing parts and making yep. the, the yeah, combination exactly. better. It, that's exactly what we did. And then we were taking it a level
1: beyond that is like making modifications to it. So we were taking and creating new angles with the stems and, and modifying the way the drops and the hoods worked and like building out ergonomics for it. And then slowly started adding parts on and making it more complicated. And, and also we were like tuning the way the like the, the stiffness of the top of the bars were. So we we're adding carbon, we we're adding different types of Kevlar, different modulus carbon fibers and um, trying to see how far we could push it. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, at thing, some point, was it just easier to make your own? Well, it got to the point where we were like, we want to do this, but we can't. And then we started looking at tolerances of current bars and it was like, oh man, like that's not that accurate. Like, I mean, the, the drop widths and like the the alignment of some of the bars were kind of a little off. And so we couldn't, it was kind of stopping us from doing certain things and we wanted to kind of go farther. Also those majors were, the original majors were a lot of labor. Like it was <laughs> a lot of work to make those. Each one was hand done. So it took a lot. So we were trying to, streamline that whole process streamline the manufacturing process and then also be able to add like full custom like we wanted to make any drop any angle any length like and then we wanted to change the shapes based on like cfd data and rider analysis and um, vibration harmonics of carbon fiber and like we want to start trying to play with that stuff more and we couldn't because we weren't making the part in a way that we could do that so (laughs) that led us down multiple rabbit holes but um uh, now yeah, you're that was using kind of supercomputers. <laughs> we are, we are, we're using uh, local uh, supercomputer to um, do most of our, actually, all of our carbon fiber uh, simulation, all of our parametric modeling systems, and all of our um, CFD simulations, and some of our AI stuff. We're also doing local.
0: Okay, so tell me about all that because I, you're literally the only person that I ever hear of using AI supercomputers. I mean, you're using <laughs> the metaverse stuff, which probably people yeah. are like have just heard that word, and we just lost half their audience, but. Sorry. Um, um, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, so we are, we are using all of that stuff. So we actually partnered up with, so we were doing a ton of CFD solvers and a lot of heavy computational work. Wait, and and was, you're going to like CFD solvers, what is sorry. that? Okay. So what we're trying to do <laughs> is we're looking at fluid dynamics. So how the air is flowing over our parts, So which has been done. We've done this in the bike industry. The, the bike industry is actually pushed quite ahead on a lot of the CFD stuff because a bike is kind of complicated. There's pedals and there's spokes and there's, um, there's cabling and there's all these little parts. And so um, it makes it more complicated. But so basically we were using CFD solvers to solve how the flow is going over the bike, the handlebars, hand positions, and touch points. But that's a one, like one snapshot. If you think about it, the person is moving, they're, you know, they're rocking side to side, um, the wheels are moving, you're pedaling, you're moving your hand in different positions. So I thought it would be really cool to start simulating all of those positions and then build that into a, a full assembly so that we could understand what we were actually, where our drag was actually coming from, where the problems actually were and what these changes and how it would affect things. And so we, Kind of wrote wrote a little program that would actually go in there and, and update all of those models and assemblies and then basically we could push that into solvers anyways some guys at nvidia kind of saw what we were trying to do and thought it was cool and we were the first to prototype we were testing the first nvidia rtx a6000 which is a really big video card that does cfd solving really well and then we got that card and that maxed out we maxed it out and because of the computer we were using the computer's limitation; hence, we started a, a, a kind of a collaboration with Lenovo, who gave us our first supercomputer. Like, the, I think the joke was a supercomputer that sits on your desk, which <laughs> is just—it's a, a really big, crazy computer with a lot of NVIDIA horsepower, and we can solve all of that locally now. Um, so we can run thousands of simulations overnight,
0: and that's kind of what we do. That's pretty awesome. I like the idea of. Taking the hand and the different positions into consideration when it comes to aerodynamics and drag and stuff, because it, as, as silly as this sounds, like when I'm riding on a really cold day and my fingertips start getting cold, I'm trying to figure out like how can I hide my fingertips <laughs> behind the brake lever, right, or like under the the mm-hmm. flats or or something. So the, you know, I, I, I don't mean, know. CFT testing. That, that's yeah, it. Exactly. That's it right there. Real world <laughs> CFT testing. Exactly.
1: Uh, but um, th- th- not even joking, though, that's literally how we get a lot of our sample data sets is like we look at riders racing and racing footages and like actually not just theoretically, hey, you should put your hand here. Hey, you should do this actually on the road. What's happening? This is It's kind of well, I mean, I don't want to go too crazy, but like that. that's kind of where the metaverse for us is starting to enter. So we can take video analysis of riders. Um, use pose estimations, lay that on top of meshes that we've already created, and then reference that into CFD solvers.
0: So are you creating like with the major, you know, and, and with the new TT extensions, which we can talk about later too. Yep. Um, so, but I'm thinking more so that the handlebars, because there's a much larger market for a standard drop bar under mm-hmm. our TT extensions. Yep. So are you creating positions and in indents and shaping that would actually put my hands into a more aerodynamic shape? We can. We can take it that far. Our current, the current road major that's going to
1: be that's going to be released here soon, will not go to that extreme because um, one of the things that we've noticed is, and I mean, the example you gave about some of our t- chats, you can go down a rabbit hole really quick, and sometimes we just need to not go down that rabbit hole. So the first introduction of the major will be a more stock style bar from us, so you will be able to pick three different uh, drops and a range of widths of bar widths, um, bar rotation angle, and then stem length and stem angle, which is a lot of options. But those are, we're going to kind of have like an a la carte, like, hey, these are kind of what we've optimized for. And then we have the, hey, we can make anything. So we can use photogrammetry where we take photographs of you, create you into a 3D mesh and overlay that on a very complicated 3D um, sketch that drives that mesh. And then we can parametrically use some parametric modeling and some custom software that will basically change your positions and run thousands of CFD analysis and positional analysis and composite solvers to find the optimal position and then present you that with a full custom option. We can go down that hole.
0: So, <laughs> what is uh, parametric modeling? I want to understand parametric that modeling term. is is a uh,
1: historical based modeling. So, if for instance, on a, on the a bicycle triangle. If you change the geometry of the bike, it would update the tubes and the model and the assembly. So most parametric modeling software is like uh, um, Autodesk Inventor, Fusion 360, SolidWorks. These are all, probably heard them in the industry before. Th- those are all those are all parametric based, so it's
0: historical based modeling. Okay, versus cool. so you just make modeling. one change and it updates what you had done as opposed right. to having to recreate it from scratch. Every exactly. Time. Gotcha. So when for us, when we're
1: making a plugin for softwares, we can actually use that parametric functionality and then make updates and use
0: that to drive versions so that we can build out massive data sets. Cool. So for the handlebar, you're right. That is a lot of options, right? Like I'm just thinking Mm -hmm. like, you know, I know what width I like. I have written enough bars. I could figure out the drop and reach Mm -hmm. and all that jazz, but the angles and everything else, like where does somebody even begin to figure out what angle of stem and, and bar and everything? It gets tricky. So like a lot
1: of the times we're doing is, you know, you have a bike that you already have that's fit for you. And you kind of are basically saying, I want to go up a little bit. I want to go a little farther out, or this is the position I want. So that's kind of how we're doing it. We're, we're, you can either pick it. We have a a geometry chart that's going to be there. So you can kind of get the points where you need to understand. Well, so our bar is a little fundamentally different. You can see there's some renders on our website right now, but a 120 stem, looks like a 140 or 160 because our stems are are longer. Um, they, they seem to be longer because the they kind of have like a point to the front of them and they kind of like arc back like a like an arrow kind of so that when you're putting your hands out, if you you know if you put your hands straight out in front of you, right, um, you can see that your hands are kind of tilted up like a like, sort of like kind of like a pyramid, you know, like if you put your hands straight out. And so we try to mimic that position when you grab the tops. And so it's a little misleading when you look at our bars sometimes to what size you need. So we kind of have like a little geometry chart cheat sheet that's going to come out. And you can kind of like overlay that on your bike and kind of understand where you need to go. And then, you know, to be honest, you have access to us. I mean, we have chat on our website. We have emails. Send us an email. um, Show us some pictures of what you have. Show us your geometry charts. You know, we're happy to help you. Hey, you should look at this size. This is what's going to fit you best. And then we also have photogrammetry tools where we can actually model stuff out and actually overlay them and assemble them.
0: Cool. We yeah, we'll put a, we'll put some pictures of your handlebar in, in the show notes for this post because you say this is our traditional, typical road handlebar. There's nothing like typical looking about it. It's pretty <laughs> wild looking, <laughs> um, and Thanks. it looks amazing too. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's a fun project yeah it's it's really cool and that's that's really like we've only talked about half of it, you know so talked about the design and everything else, but the the manufacturing, the actual construction of it is super unique too. So talk about that. It is. So the way we're doing it, we have a, a
1: so one of the manufacturing methodologies that we use, we call it hybrid manufacturing for us. Um, so what we're doing is we're mixing a 3D printed polymer skeleton that is then fused with carbon fiber. And it, it makes it really interesting because they're, they're two very different material properties. The 3D printed um, skeleton has very, very high tensile strengths. And it's, um, it has, you know, very, very good isotropic property materials. So basically meaning that it doesn't have directional strength. It's very, it's strong in all directions relatively equally. There's, there's some difference, but it's very equal. Unlike carbon fiber, where you have like, you need directional carbon and, you know, the direction of the fiber is the direction of the strength the skeleton is not like that. Um, and because of that, it makes it really interesting that we can mix that material with the carbon fiber that's then fused to it together. And it makes this very cool material. It has this really cool properties. When you pick it up, it, like, it doesn't feel like carbon. The people that have gotten our first arrow bar extensions, that is literally the first fe- like feedback we've gotten. It's like, I hold it and a doesn't feel like carbon, but I know it is. <laughs> so it's cool. We can do that. And then where it gets a little crazier is we're using for a majority of our layups, we use what's called bi directional braided sleeve. Um, so it's kind of like a Chinese finger trap. It's, you know, helical shaped fiber that goes around the substrate, which is not unique to us for carbon fiber. I mean, it's a known manufacturing method. But what's cool is if you think about it, the direction of the fiber is relative to the circumference of the part. Does that make sense? So the bigger the diameter of the part, um, the angle is more away from zero. So zero is typically like the down tube um, going up and down the down tube is zero. The larger the diameter, the more that angle is going to turn away from zero. So because of that, we can very accurately place carbon fiber in places knowing the circumference of the part. So if you think about parametric modeling, if you think about being able to update those dynamics, and if you think about how we can connect that to simulation, it becomes a super cool puzzle because now we can actually tune the fiber orientation of the bar from a bidirectional braided carbon sleeve.
0: But yeah, but I'm I'm trying to think of this as like, if you wanted a certain angle of carbon, then you kind of have to use a certain diameter, right? So do you lose a little bit of control over what diameter based on, in order to get control over the angle of carbon? It's a big puzzle. So you can change <laughs> the
1: diameter of the of the carbon, of the sleeve. Um, you can also technically taper the sleeve So there's a couple tricks that we can do to make it. And then, you know, you have to think of the circumference. So if you start looking at our bars, you'll very quickly see, or even our bikes, the RF20 and and even the the extensions work on a very similar principle. So you can see that the circumference is, you know, we're trying to measure that circumference. So if you change the cross section, make it thinner, uh, make it, you know, make it fatter, make it skinnier. I mean, if any of those dimensions you change, it changes the circumference. So we can make divots. We can make all kinds of changing direction to, to try and adjust that. So it makes it cool. Like, and then you have to balance that with aerodynamics and ergonomics. So that's why we run, I mean, the, the road bars, I mean, I don't even, I can't even count how many simulations those have run through because it's, we run all three. We run, we run um, composite simulation for structural, for buckling and forces and um, dynamic loads. We're also looking at harmonics. So how vibration travels through the bars. We're also looking at CFD data and then rider input on ergonomics. So we run mass yeah, it's it's a lot of simulation. And then all of that is varied on each other. So all
0: right. I I hope you don't mind me using this term because like when you first said it, I was like, yeah, really? But like you were explaining the the arrow bars to me um when I did the story on that recently. And the word you used was concrete. Like people pick it up and they say it yeah. feels it doesn't feel like carbon, it feels like concrete, which yep. doesn't have like to me the greatest connotation because concrete's kind of dead feeling, yes. but also <laughs> like there's not a lot of vibration probably traveling through thick yes. concrete, right? But like, right. is that a good feel or does it just feel dead? It feels, I, I think the, the reason that people,
1: well, okay. So the core structure of itself will actually transfer vibration quite a lot. It'll, it'll transfer the vibration a lot. Carbon fiber, because of its fabric orientation and especially the way we're making the materials, it moves the vibration through the part quickly. So you have something in the bottom that's actually transferring vibration fast. Um, its response to the, the impact response is very quick. And then you have something like carbon fiber that's actually dissipating that throughout the part. It makes it, I don't wanna say dead is the wrong word, but it makes it very stiff. It has a very stiff, responsive feel, but it doesn't transfer a ton of vibration. Mm, okay. So it's for the aero bar extensions, it's it was it, a lot of people have noticed a huge difference in crosswinds on the road. On like crosswinds and crosswind stability, that sway that's typically in those aero bar extensions, especially as we get those stack heights really high, that's diminished drastically. And on the road bars, it's really interesting when you look at deflection in the drops, because we can really eliminate a lot of that deflection that happens in the drops. When you're out of the saddle sprinting and like climbing, we can really eliminate that without having a massive penalty on uh, ride comfort and vibration.
0: That's cool. So is there a way then to also tune it? you know, if you were going to do like a gravel bar and you wanted a little mm-hmm. bit of compliance and flex, like, can you do that as well or? Yes. Okay, yes. You smi- yes. you're smiling. You, people can't see you on the podcast. I can see you. You're, you're smiling and uh, laughing as though like you might this, be working on
1: something. We are. We're working on something for for a gravel specific. Um, there's a, we have a couple gravel concepts for how the bars would work. Yes, there's a version. There's right now the version, the main version right now is focusing on road and a, a traditional more road. Um, I mean, I came out growing up racing crits and, you know, tracks. So like I dig stiff, responsive front ends, but yeah, that's like the kind of the focus for the first bar, but there is, there is definitely a gravel version of it in the works for sure. There's right. a couple of versions of it in the works, um, and we'll make that basically So the, the, the road bar, uh, the road cockpit system, the track cockpit system, and the um, aero bar extensions themselves are all built on the same fundamental technology. Um, the hybrid manufacturing, bidirectional braided sleeves. We also do mix unidirectional and plain weave carbon into it um, in different moduluses to, to tune the characteristics. We also use some McNegra in there as well for um, safety factor. But yes, yeah, so like th- it's all mixed together. All of those three products all use very similar systems. The road bar itself, the different versions that will be coming out eventually, will be the same general system, designed tuned differently. Cool. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. All right. So yeah, you mentioned Inegra. I was going to ask if you use any of the other materials or or mm-hmm. still use them because I knew you used to use some Kevlar and stuff. But do you use yeah. any of those other things still? Or we don't use a lot of Kevlar. We kind of
1: have moved to Inegra. Has been kind of our for safety and um, and some dampening, we've been using a negra success. We do mix. Um, we have plain weave, both standard modulus, medium modulus, and high modulus that we keep here in the shop, and then we have also unidirectional. In um, an assortment of different uh, weights and um, moduluses to, to tune the riding characteristics. So we still have quite a bit. Bidirectional is just what you'll see a lot of our products nowadays are using for their um, the layup, the buildup is that. And then the particular carbon fibers that are most useful to get the results that we need are what we'll use for the the, the final tuning.
0: When you say bidirectional, you just mean like woven? Yes.
1: Okay. Yes. So it's it's woven in two directions. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I could probably use a refresher on Inegra. What's like? What's the difference between Inegra and carbon fiber versus glass fiber versus aramid? Yeah, you know, so Inegra things. is a material that was, uh, I believe, is originally
1: designed for Formula One. Or I think the big application was for Formula One. It's basically a a safety mechanism so that if you have a failure in a part, the Inegra itself won't fail. So it'll actually hold the structure together at fail point. So, um, for like a Formula One car, it's like a crash cage for the the. The driver. So if you smash it into a wall, it will still hold a its integrity to some degree and the anegra will hold it together. So we do that in a lot of the stress points of the bars. So like um, you know, right at the stem junction area where that transition happens and clamp zones for the bars, the drops of the bars. Um, there is a weight penalty, but it also dampens vibration. It actually helps transfer vibration very well. So um we use it for that as well. And on the road bikes, we do them like on the The seat stays, the top of the seat stays where like derailers are famous for flipping up and hitting chainstay areas, down tubes of top tubes where that um, handlebars hit, things like that. Those impact areas is where we
0: put a Negro. Very cool. All right. So the episode prior to this one, I was talking with Josh at Silka about their new wax lead, which uses a super premium version of graphene. And graphene mm-hmm. is kind of the wonder material that everybody's using for everything. So mm-hmm. is that, are you guys looking at that? Have you used it for anything or tested it?
1: We, we tested it a couple of years ago, played around with it. We have it in our library of materials and we simulate against it quite a bit. Um, it's a very cool material. You can do lots of cool stuff with it, but we are not currently developing new products. We're still testing with it, but we have What would you use it for in this kind of application? It's kind of limitless where you could, I mean, you could use it. I mean, we could be looking at in main tube sections areas. We could be looking at in the frames. Um, we could be looking at it in, in contact areas. I mean, we could kind of really use it anywhere. Um, there is a price point. It, it is expensive. Um, it gets difficult when, um, especially a company like us, we're, we're small quantity. Um, so we get Um, we have some pre-preg companies that work with us to do small quantity batches that's where it gets kind of tricky too because like we we have a lot of stuff mixed and we get some remnants from aerospace remnants we buy so we can have a a variety of options. So that's a limiting factor too, because we have to be able to run a batch.
0: What would the benefit of graphene be in a, you know, let's say a handlebar or a bike frame? Well, you could probably, I mean, probably the
1: best place to be using is in the back and the stem sections and the back stem areas where we have the clamp zones and then leading out into the bars. You could get better contact distribution from where that, that clamp zone is. We could, we could increase the transfer of rigidity from the steer tube to the the handlebar system
0: itself. So it just so it would add rigidity.
1: Yeah, and just the way we make that clamp zone, we could change it. Everything that we've tested so far, we don't have a great I mean we the where we could use it is qu- we question where we could use it effectively um, based right. on what we're currently using because we're kind of using our, our tuning and our, our bidirectional sleeves as our support. So I, yeah, I'm not, we're still looking around at how we would actually use it correctly.
0: That's cool. Yeah, it was more personal curiosity just because it does seem like, you know, and Josh said the same thing, right? Like it, it does everything, right? So you yes. can use it for everything. And so I was just yes. curious if there was an application here for it. Um, so you mentioned, and we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, be, right before we hit record, you mentioned the last bit of the piece of the puzzle on the the major handlebar and we should say it's it's like a one-piece handlebar stem combo so it's all fully integrated one-piece cockpit the um the last thing that's holding you up is really dialing in the the clamp area that Mm -hmm. clamps to the steerer tube so what is it about that that's kind of got you rethinking or or yeah for sure so the main thing that we're looking at is so if you look at
1: traditional clamping mechanism. You have two bolts on either side and you basically just clamp it around a steer tube. It's not the best way to clamp carbon. I mean, like carbon does not quite do the best at that. You are trying to basically flex it and compress it around a part. You get a pinch point. So it's something that we've been thinking on how to redo. And that mechanism back there is a very, typically it's done very clunky on how to actually do the carbon work for that. And the hardware if you're thinking about the hardware and the composites together it, it's we kind of have a couple systems that we played with and it just wasn't there like it wasn't as nice as i would like it the other problem that happens is when you start looking at stresses and loads is how the internal cable routing for internal because the, the bar is compatible fully compatible with internal cable routing um for full internal frames so we can go right into the steer tube or into the front of the headset like the standard inch and a half oversized setup so Designing it in such a way that that could be accommodated easily was the big thing. And then also, because we're just data junkies, we want to be able to basically design it so we can make a really nice aerofoil arrow shaped design in the back. So um, what we are working on is the same general clamp mechanism that we have for the RF20 in the seat post which is it's basically a wedge style design except we're using a polymer based compression system in it so there's actually a very very slight amount of give in that clamp mechanism so it has this very cool progressive properties to it so um, right when you get to the point of the the joint where the joint would fail we actually get just tenths of of deflection in the part which allows the part to Go that much farther before failing, so um, we get an increased cold force um, without increasing the loads on the steer tube itself,
0: Huh. which should be plenty, right? Because you don't hear about those that part breaking
1: very often. No, you don't hear about breaking, but you can hear about them rotating. So that's spinning, mm. and the how even the force is, and and fracturing the steer tubes, and how that whole system works. And we're just trying to make something that's a little more elegant, maybe is the word, and it only has one M4 head that sticks out that's exposed so there's no
0: exposed hardware on the outside of the part other than an M4 that's really interesting yeah the wedge yeah wedge design I'm just trying to picture like seat post wedges and yeah I mean they work I'm not the biggest fan you know but mainly because like to me, you know, like half the time a bike will show up with it and the little wedge is falling down into the C-tube yep. and I get to fish it out. It's just like, ah, really. But they once they're set up, they usually work fine. So, so one of the things we've thought about that, that's actually been something we've like,
1: because I also hate that. Um, and then they <laughs> fall in and it's adjustability. It's just a thing. So our system is actually interlocked into the part itself. So when it's assembled, it will fully recess back out so that it does plenty of clearance. It does not fall back in. And it turns all that clamp hardware into the back of the unit so that there is nothing in the front of the stem. And then for the RF20, it actually pulls against the frame itself. So it does the same mechanism. So it's all contained within the frame so that, that you don't have that problem of it coming loose. And if you... The way it's threaded in, you t- in order to unthread it to the point where it would all fall apart, you would really have to unthread it. Like it's, I mean, it would take effort to do so. <laughs> Good, cool, glad to hear. We did think about that, because that, I also, I, I feel you on that.
0: Yeah, so what's the ETA and the the major handlebars? Um, the major handlebars, we're probably looking
1: at fully releasing them in like, in, in probably in January is what we're looking at right now. Uh, we have some prototypes out there um, and we've had some um, track versions out there For the pilots and the pilots are accessible now we're so we're shipping those but we are um still just finalizing the road bars um so it's just once we get that little part and then we have um, one of the parts those pieces we are we are not manufacturing Uh, we manufacture everything else but there's one aluminum part that's inside of there that we don't manufacture so Cool. We're just waiting to get some of those in.
0: Yeah. And you have some pretty solid athletes testing your stuff, right? Like your buddies with Corey Williams from Legion of Los mm-hmm. Angeles team. And, you know, he's yeah. riding your stuff. Like who else? Like how, how are you putting this stuff through the paces?
1: So we have a handful of the guys that used to ride our bars back in the day um, have been rocking it. Austin Carroll was testing out one of our, our new uh, track set- setups and doing um, a lot of the testing for like positioning and fit and stuff on it. He rode our old TK-1 custom majors that we had, and he's been playing around with the new ones. And um, we've been putting a lot of the other ones of, you know, ex-racers that used to work ride for us, putting it on the road. So we could also get a really good bench line between what we did back then and what we did now and kind of the changes and what's happened. And then myself, I rock it. I'm not a pro or anything, but I, uh, I like riding. So <laughs> yeah. if you put out some big Watts. I used to think I put out big
0: Watts. <laughs> I definitely don't anymore. Gravity is my friend when putting out watts, but that's about it. <laughs> right on. Um, you know, I, I was thinking because this is a one-piece system, mm-hmm. you know, the bar and the stem combined, that a lot of those, especially when you get into some pretty radical shaping like you guys are doing, you, the solution for putting a out-front mount for a GPS computer, which everybody wants nowadays, is, you know, you, mm-hmm. you in-mold some threaded holes and then you had slap on a thing like how are you guys solving for that was there were there structural concerns with adding that kind of capability there was so um one of the problems that we had a very quick on was was that because i didn't
1: the original so the original um modeling and and, uh, simulation was done for the track bar was where the first one we did and so then we basically took a lot of that data and adapted it to the road and then quickly realized that it's not gonna work (laughs) because there's no computer (laughs) So a lot of the material that we had on that front nose section of where that, like, historically the stem clamp would be, um, was very thin. And because we didn't need material there, it didn't, it really didn't do much. But when it comes to mounting a bike computer, and especially the weight of bike computers nowadays, and lights, and, and Garmin, and um, GoPro cameras that people are putting underneath them, it very quickly becomes a problem. So yes, it, to answer your question, yes, we are considering on how to mount for it. And we have basically two approaches that we're using. Um, one, you can opt, you will be able to opt for a, a traditional two-boss mount on the bottom, which is, uh, we don't do riv nuts. Um, we basically do embedded stainless steel hardware. That's how we kind of do it. It's sandwiched into the structure of the material. So it doesn't have an issue of like turning and breaking loose, is how we mount them. Actually, just on that point, um, something that's interesting about how we manufacture our bicycles and parts, um, we actually do all of it with no drilling. So none of our handlebars, aero bar extensions, bike frames, uh, we do no penetration holes. Everything is in molded. So um, nice. it's all net molded parts. And so we mold that in for the computer mounts. But we're also working on a custom computer mount system that will literally just stream right on to the bars so um, because the the bars we have we have that little detent that kind of comes into the where the handlebar and that stem clamp face transitions there's kind of a nice little curve there so we can integrate and can bite computer into there really nicely nice um yeah it's a that was a big considering factor and, and there's so many different computers and how big they're getting and heavy and yeah. batteries and yes.
0: Yeah, because I run I run a computer, you know, and usually one of the, the larger ones and mm-hmm. plus a, a light underneath, right? So yeah, you're talking about adding at least a pound hanging off the front yep. of the bar oh, yeah. and sticking out too. It's cantilevered, mm-hmm. right? So it probably, mm-hmm. every time you hit a bump, it probably feels like two pounds or more. Yep. Which I guess, just- does that really like, I mean, but here, you know, I'm a 190 pound guy. So I've got theoretically about at least a third of my weight sitting out extended on the edges of the bar said, so like, does adding two pounds of computer and light really matter? Or is it just where it's mounted that matters? It's the where it's mounted and how it's levered,
1: like how that cantilever force is applied to that mount location. So, like, we just did a custom comp- carbon fiber computer mount for the a stem-mounted compute, like, you know, like how you mount the faceplate. You run it through into the faceplate. Uh, we did a custom uh, carbon fiber one recently. And the problem that they were having was they had an aluminum unit that was actually breaking. It was failing. Mm-hmm. Um and so they asked if we could make a custom one for them um, out of composites. And we did. And the problem is, is that because that mount is so rigid, there's nowhere for it to give. If you give, it, it's, it's, I mean, there's a fail point. It has to bend somewhere. So you have to reinforce the living heck out of that thing so that it won't, it'll pass that fail test because you have it directly bolted to a face and then you have it cantilevered six inches, seven inches out. And then you have you know a pound of weight on top of that. I mean that's a lot of force. That's a lot of force acting on those nuts. So, um, yeah, it becomes it can become a issue very quickly. Um, so you have to kind of think about how you're going to do that. So we, like I said, we had two approaches. One, because the stem is already going out so far, um, if we can recess that and bring that into that that curve that we have into that the front of that cockpit, we can limit the length significantly, and it's still theoretically in the same position. From where you're, you know, where you're seeing your eyesight is.
0: Right. So you guys spend a lot of time on aerodynamics as well. What does that do to aerodynamics, though? Or, or are you working on a solution that you can have a light in the computer and it's still just as aero? Because I'm sure you thought of that. <laughs> so, yes, we've
1: thought about it. Um, it's definitely a part of the puzzle. The standard design that we're doing is basically what you typically have you have like a you know a design where it's like a slotted design where it slides in and mounts um that will be an option obviously there's a, there's an aerodynamic penalty for that because you're disturbing that airflow and it's it's computer mounts are typically not very clean like i mean there's just lots of different exposures and different surfaces so the wind is seeing all kinds of you know things that's that's breaking that up causing a lot of turbulence on our integrated system, we're, we're actually smoothing that all out. And we're actually integrating that right back into the stem so that we can really have as little disruption, as disruption in the air as possible. Now, if you ask me that question on our arrow bar extensions, um, the custom computer mount that we have in significantly reduces your drag coefficient.
0: Hmm. Or does it just sit between the bars, or because I, I didn't see
1: it on any of the photos
0: that you guys had for the press release?
1: Um, they were not on those photos because the they were not on the bike yet. Um, th- there is a computer on the photos; it is streamlined in between the bars. There is a bike computer on it, but um, the new one that we ju- he just finished testing it out just recently, uh, Corey. It, it's positioned in between the aero bars underneath to help create um, a better um, flow for where he um, for his hands positions are um I was so, yeah, say, he he's actually, almost
0: like cupping his hands over the front it seems like you could just hide it behind
1: the hair right basically is where it is if you see the flat section where it says predator on it on that like kind of uh, on, where it says predator going up into the bars in that center section the bike computer is sitting right in between that. Um, so we're actually closing up that frontal cavity that he has so we're, that's what we're trying to do we're trying to close up the frontal cavity with the computer and we basically shape the bottom of the bike computer mount. Um, in order to help create that laminar airflow around and guide it off to the side. Cool.
0: All right, so let's, while we're on the arrow bars, this, I've got kind of two questions. So, or, or one, I just want you to like share the level of geekery that you went to on this, so people really <laughs> appreciate this, right? Um. If you look at the air extensions, and I'll put a picture of those in the show notes for this too, they're very shapely, but there's like, you know, about two thirds of the way down, if you're counting the the top being where the hands are resting and mm-hmm. then the bottom being the elbows, right? So like two thirds of the way down toward the elbow pads, there's just like this little like hump back on the bottom, mm-hmm. right? So a bottom yep. hump, yep. Um, hump belly, I guess maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I think the the purpose for that wasn't structural necessarily, was it? It was purely yeah. aerodynamics, right?
1: Yeah, there's very little things that happen on that bar that's structural, just because the fact that like because of the, the skeletons being inside of that and the carbon fiber itself, I mean, the bars are inherently going to be overbuilt. So yes, almost all of the design work on that bar is for aerodynamical purposes. Um, I mean, that's literally the most of it. Yeah, I mean, 90% is for um, aerodynamics. So yeah, um, (laughs) we might've taken a little too far um, for- for (laughs) (laughs) Never. There's a chance, there's a chance. (laughs) So basically what we did with Corey, um, we, we got some photos of Corey. We turned that into a 3D mesh um, and we have it on the video. If you go on our website, on the I think you guys posted it as well in the, in the in the article. Um, there's a little video we have, and there's a clip of it. You can see. So we actually take his entire body and we model that into a 3D model, um, and including his fingers, we actually modeled in all of his fingers, and we adjust those. In different ways um, to figure out what his actual CFD is, and then basically based on that, and you know, try different hand positions, try different positional, um, if you know, hands on top of each other, hands next to each other, um, making a fist, you know, pointing your fingers more, all of those types of variables we actually did look at, and then how that that bar basically. So we there's two different approaches that you can do. You can basically try and say, okay, here's the body and the position, and I'm going to run CFD analysis on that body and then see how that body can be as efficient as possible and then make the bars hide against him and help guide the air. But then the problem is, is that the bars themselves can do things to help change the way the airflow is on, on the front of the rider. So like you mentioned, those little nubs that we have on the bottom, um, like just in front of the arm pads. So what we do is we actually model them together. So we have Corey himself in hundreds of positions and the bar systems in multiple different positions simulate that based on the results of that simulation, make adjustments, and then run the simulation again. So we just have a basic program that we built that basically does that. So we can just basically take the analysis, understand it, and then update it. So for Corey, we can drastically expedite his evolution of his arrow position. You know, I think we were talking about it, you know, you think about a rider, like, I mean, I, I use Dave Zabriskie for an example, one, super fan, um, two, probably still one of the most arrow riders, you know, that we've tested. I mean, the guy's frontal surface area was i mean minuscule. I mean if you look at the evolution of his position over like 10 years, I mean he just kept getting faster because he kept testing kept testing variables in the wind tunnel all the time. It, it took, you know, it takes so long because you can only test so much in a wind tunnel, you can only test so much on the road. We could basically take that process from 10 years and shrink it down into like, you know, a weekend um, where we can test 3000, 4000, 5000 positions and then figure out what the fastest 5 are, present that data And say, okay, here's the fastest five that we found. That's achievable. That's not achievable. Let's build a prototype. Let's get that part tested. And then, you know, skip the data from that and then go farther. That's kind of the process we use for Corey to kind of see if this could work. And then, you know, it's one thing to test it theoretically on the computer. And it's another thing to see the results on the road and actually validate it. So that was kind of the big test with Corey this year is to see if we could simulate it, understand what's happening, and then build the prototypes, get them on the road, and validate the numbers that we got on the road with the data that we had modeled out, so.
0: And presumably it did, like did the, the real-world <laughs> performance back up what you had on the computer? Yeah, very close. I mean, it was very
1: close. And that's kind of the thing is like, you know, a lot of people you say it's like, oh, you know, the computer's one thing and, and and the real world's another thing, which is obviously true. I mean, they, they are two separate places. Even when you bring the metaverse in, it's still, there's still two separate places. But the, the thing that's interesting is, is that, I mean, the simulation is only as good as the data set that you bring it. So if you're not bringing it the full data set, if you're not bringing it all the variables, obviously it's not going to solve for what it doesn't know. So that's kind of been our, the way we think about things because we've been like, okay, like the results are different. Why were they different? Well, we didn't think about this or we didn't account for that. Okay, well, let's account for it. Let's start adding all of those variables in and then figuring out what we can take out, what we have to leave in order to come up with something that's very predictable. And that's where the, that's also where the, the metaverse connection happens really quickly for us, because that's what we're also using to create some of our custom modeling. I mean, our custom data sets that are going into simulation are coming from the metaverse. Hmm.
0: Interesting. So the, uh, I'm curious with all the thousands of CFD simulations you did with Corey, did you ever do any without a beard? Like, (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes, if you look at the simulations, we, we did, we did, uh, delete the beard. Yeah. Was he faster without the beard? Yeah. But he won't get rid of it.
1: <laughs> you know, there's, there's a thing. There's, you know, you can only, you can data will only go so far. You gotta yeah. look. You gotta keep it. You know. God, right, gotta do? Yes, facial hair makes a difference. Um, we've textured facial hair; it does make a difference.
0: Yeah, I, I bet. Um, well, I did notice you have the before and after pictures, like his old error bars and his new ones. And the old error bars is a little scragglier, right? And he, he, he's cleaned up a little bit for the new ones. <laughs> yeah, we so. told
1: him you got to shave it before we, g- otherwise the data set are not going to be on there. Um, yeah, right. Yes. No, I haven't actually not actually tried to simulate. CFD simulation of hair that would be very difficult. Yeah, it would be like, a lot of work.
0: Yes, I'm sure. So the the and we should add too because the CFD like let's say I wanted to get a set of TT bars right, and mm-hmm. I send you my so the photogrammetry is like I would have a friend take a bunch of photos of me, like a lot. Mm-hmm. Send you all those photos, and you you drop that into your supercomputer, and it uses AI to figure out you know to kind of build me in 3D so that you can mm-hmm. create it, but then. That's, that's like included in the base price of the bars, which are not cheap. They're like 1800 yeah. bucks. Yeah. If I wanted to add a full CFD analysis, I think that like the starting point for that is like an additional thousand dollars. But like how, how, what does that get me? If I just say, okay, I've got an extra thousand, what does that get me? Yeah. So, I mean, well, okay. But the other thing too about like the thing to think
1: about is, and I think the, the, the thing that makes it interesting with our bars is we're, we're in a very interesting price point because i mean to be honest what your what that bar should be compared to if you're going to be in the in the market for is like you know laser centered titanium 3d printed arrow bars i mean that's kind of what it's going to be comparable to so compared to that we're we're about half the price of what the starting price is for those and we have less interestingly enough we actually have less design constraints and we have better isotropic material properties and we have more tunable characteristics so it's, you know, they're competitive technologies they're competitive ways of making something. And we're able, because of the way we're making it, we're able to bring the price down almost in half of what a titanium laser centered part would be from, and then it's, we're not that much more, I mean, we're, you know, seven, $800 more than what a more stock arrow bar system would be. So it, that's why I say we're kind of in an interesting price point. The additional benefit the CFD will get, it really depends on the position you're coming in with. So we will use that photogrammetry. We will build that into a mesh. We then overlay that mesh onto our 3D sketch that can drive you into different positions. And we use that reference points to build the arrow bars themselves is how we do it for the standard setup. And then we basically for the CFD analysis setup, we will run you through usually a couple hundred for that first base price will run you through a couple hundred different positions. And, you know, show you the fastest three, four that we can find. And then, you know, it really depends on how big your frontal surface area is, where your hands are, how much time you've used in the aero bars. You know, it really depends on that, on what your gains are. For Corey, it was pretty substantial. We were able to reduce his frontal surface area pretty significantly with the simulation testing. Like that was a big contributing factor. Um, also, the way those bars, if you, I mean, the way the break point is on, on his forearms is very unique. Um, there's a lot of little unique parts that was all designed because of the CFD.
0: So that that CFD data is, ta- it's not just talking about the shape of the arrow bars, right? Like at that point, you're talking about like, hey, here's little tweaks you could make to your overall body position, or maybe even, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe even using the, the arrow bars to sort of, force the person into a different body position, right? That's more efficient overall. It depends how far you go. So, I mean, we basically try and do,
1: when when we get into that, that's why I kind of say it starts at a 1,000 because that's like the first level where you can make meaningful impact. And then once we get past that, I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, the sky's the limit. We can just keep running analysis. Obviously, your gains are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller as the longer we spend, but it's a debate of how, you know, what, what it's worth.
0: Yeah. Where, where does that cost benefit analysis end? <laughs> yes. I or mean, become, it, become pointless. Yes. I mean, that's the question. So, um and I
1: think the thing that's interesting about us is, you know, we're bringing that kind of super high level pro tour, even, I mean, some pro tour teams are doing that kind of analysis, maybe not quite the way we're doing it, but you know, they're doing that type of analysis. We, we're actually bringing that down to, you know, anyone you can, you know, I mean, there's obviously a cost factor to it, but that tech is publicly available tech that anyone can use to do. And there's very little constraints on location or Um, What I mean, you need access to, uh, you know, camera, internet connection, I mean, pretty basic requirements um, to be able to get that kind of technology in your hands. So that's kind of the idea with it. But yeah, it's limitless in what you can do. And especially when you're talking about forcing into body positions, when you're talking about um, hand gestures, and how that bar shapes that and how we can re-guide the airflow around the rider. So, yeah, I mean, like Corey's bars were, we got about an 18% gain by reshaping the bottom half of his bars. Jeez. So, I mean, I mean, that's gain based on what the gain of the system was. So, I mean, that's pretty significant.
0: Yeah, the, you know, I mean, like I use Face ID to log into my phone, right? So it's able to scan my face in some level of 3D-ness. Mm -hmm. Is that, so rather than me like submit a whole bunch of photos, like could I not use my phone to almost just like 3D scan my body and send that to you? You can't. So like iPhones have um, LiDAR sensors and stuff built
1: in. And so there are some certain scanning techs that you can be done with that. The reason that we didn't go down that path is then we would have to be specific to versions of phones. You'd have to be specific to the version of the phone that you were using. And and if you didn't have like that version of the iPhone, you you'd literally have to go get that iPhone in order for us to do it. Um, so using photogrammetry like this, it's more publicly available. We also have, I mean, we have a really dialed in setup here. So if someone, you know, is local to the or wants to come visit Nashville, which is an awesome place to visit, you're welcome to come and we can scan, you know, we can do the scanning here as well. So, I mean, it's not, you don't have to do it at home. You can come here as well, but we just tried to do it so that, you know, we can do it for anyone, anywhere.
0: Cool. Yeah. And and you say Nashville so fast, it sounds like Asheville. So I want to clarify oh, you're, sorry. you're near Nashville, Tennessee, not Asheville, North Carolina. No, um, no, no. Yes. Yeah. Very cool. Well, man, that was a lot. I appreciate it. <laughs> it, <Sorry>. was, <laughs> it was good. No, I, I love it, man. I love it. I geek out on this stuff so hard. So, Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. Is there like, is there something I didn't ask? I feel like there's a whole lot I still don't know. And there always will be, but (laughs) like, is there something I didn't ask that's just fascinating to you personally that you want to share? Um, I mean, I, you know, for me, the big interest is puzzles. I
1: love puzzles. So I mean, I I, I can, okay, here, I'll leave you with one, a a nugget for you, (laughs) um, a a puzzle if anyone's interested in it. So the RF 20, um, which is our road frame, um, is built on a, expanding mandrel system. And the road bars are, they use um, the road bars, track bars, um, and uh, extensions also use a mandrel system as well for compression. And what's interesting is, is on all of them, they use a three-part, four-part technically expanding mandrel system. That's completely one piece that consolidates at over 700 PSI. And all of which is done net molded, meaning that there is no um, drilling penetration after the fact. So if you think about that from a front triangle of a bicycle frame that gets super interesting. So like water bottle cage, um, rivets, uh, we use a rivet, we use a standard rivet. Um, but we don't drill a hole. The hole is molded in, um, and it's net molded. Same with headset races, same with dropouts, same with arrow bar extensions. So I think it's a, it, it's, it's, it's probably a topic for another day, but, um, <laughs> it is something that I think is pretty cool. Um, because, um, uh, anyone that knows anything about net molding, it's it's very difficult to do and at high consolidation rates, it's it's even harder. Um, but that's something we've been working on. And that's actually where the tech for the the skeleton system inside of our hybrid manufacturing method, that's actually where that came from. It came from the idea of how do we net mold these parts with these insane tolerances and these surface finishes. And we, can't, we couldn't do it. You, even with a five-axis CNC, we couldn't get those parts done to, in order to do it. And so we actually designed um, mold inserts and stuff and so that we could do it with 3D printing. And that's where it led down our hybrid path.
0: Yep. So, and anyways. here we are. And we are, yes. <laughs> awesome, Aaron. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Great to be here. If you like this episode and have a product or tech you're curious about, head over to bikerumor.com slash podcast and fill in the form to submit your idea. You'll also find links and photos for this episode there, plus a link to this and every other episode we've ever recorded. If you really like this and want more, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave us a rating and review. That's the grease that keeps our wheels spinning over here in podcast land, and it helps us keep getting amazing guests for you. You can find us on social. We're at BikeRumor on all the things. And if you like random entrepreneurship, NFT, Web3, cycling stuff, you'll find me at Tyler Benedict on all the social channels. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep the rubber side down.